Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. An Arizona judge dismisses a Republican candidate's election lawsuit. The judge said the candidate has to wait until after the state certifies the election results. Several Republican senators use a tight Pentagon funding deadline to their advantage, demanding a vote to repeal military vaccine mandates. Former dictator Jiang Zemin has died. What the late Chinese Communist Party leader did during his tenure and a perspective on some of those atrocities from China Uncensored. Disney's new CEO speaks up about the company's stance on LGBT issues. We bring you what he said and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' response. And California has a policy to release nonviolent offenders from prison on early parole. But an investigation finds that thousands of pedophiles are among them, many serving less than one year in prison. Arizona, a judge dismissed an election lawsuit filed by a Republican candidate. He alleged that problems at polling locations disenfranchised voters. NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. A Maricopa County Superior Court judge dismissed Attorney General candidate Abraham Hamaday's election lawsuit on Tuesday. Hamaday, a Republican, filed the lawsuit on November 22nd against his opponent, Democrat Chris Mays. The lawsuit alleged errors and inaccuracies at voting locations caused voter disenfranchisement and asked the judge to intervene. Hamaday wants assurance the candidate with the most lawful votes is declared the winner. Currently, Mays is leading by 510 votes out of more than 2.5 million cast. Under Arizona law, an automatic recount is triggered when the margin is less than or equal to 0.5 percent. In a three-page ruling, Judge Randall Warner said the lawsuit was filed too soon. Arizona law doesn't allow an election to be contested until after the state certifies the results. The state is set to do so on December 5th. After the certification, the race heads for a recount. In Pennsylvania, Luzerne County missed the deadline for approving its election results. The five-member Board of Supervisors deadlocked on Monday. Two Republicans voted against the approval, citing paper shortages and ballot problems. Two Democrats voted in favor and one Democrat abstained. The delay led U.S. House Democrat Matt Cartwright to file a lawsuit against the county. Cartwright was projected the winner on November 9 over Trump-endorsed Republican Jim Bognett. The suit requests immediate certification of his victory. He said the board members didn't have legal justification for failing to approve the count. Last week, Bognett, who has not conceded, filed his own lawsuit against the county's election board. He's seeking a ballot reconciliation before the election results are approved and alleges election day problems impacted voters. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. House Democrats held their leadership election today. New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries will succeed House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and become minority leader in the new Congress. Jeffries ran unopposed for the position. He currently serves as the chairman of the House Democratic Caucus. Congresswoman Catherine Clark will be the next Democratic whip, and Congressman Pete Aguilar will be the next Democratic Caucus chair. And a deadline is fast approaching to fund the Department of Defense. But a group of Republican senators are threatening to stall the funding. They want a vote to repeal the military vaccine mandates. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill.
Of the senators that we heard from today, the crux of their argument can mainly be boiled down to three points. The first is they argue that this vaccine mandate harms military readiness, pointing to the fact that around 3,400 military members have been discharged because of the vaccine mandate, and that's on top of the recruitment shortfalls uh, the military is experiencing this year. The second point is that they argue that it wastes money, the tens of thousands of dollars that the military has already spent to recruit and train those military members. And then the third uh, thing that they're arguing is the effectiveness of the vaccine. Uh, in their own words, here's a look at the crux of their arguments. To anybody who's looking at CDC and NIH and FDA data, there have been 32,220 deaths reported to VAERS associated with the vaccine. Over 1.4 million adverse events. At a time when the military is struggling to meet their targets for recruitment, the Biden administration is firing soldiers we invested in and trained. I believe they're doing this as an effort to purge from the military conservatives. And as a way to make all efforts to repeal this vaccine mandate, those Republican senators are threatening to delay advancing the National Defense Authorization Act um, in order to get a vote on this amendment. That amendment would repeal the vaccine mandate, rehire those discharged service members, as well as give them back pay. But their argument that this, uh, this mandate harms national security and military readiness is the exact same argument that other senators and the Pentagon is using to justify the need to pass this defense bill quickly. Um, it's also what Senate Leader Chuck Schumer said on the floor today, expressing the need to avoid delay as much as possible. Do we want our troops to protect us with one high tent tied behind their back while our adversaries are operating at full capacity? Of course not. But that's the danger we face if we don't pass an omnibus. And government funding runs out in 16 days, but it's unclear if this effort from Republicans in the Senate will be successful. Senators Ted Cruz and Rick Scott expressed optimism today, while Senator Rand Paul was a bit more reserved, saying that this is ultimately in the hands of House of Senate leadership. Um, there's about 20 senators who have joined in support on this. Of those 20 signatures they've collected, none of them are from Senate leadership. And Rand Paul says if they don't have the backing of Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders, this ultimately may not be successful. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Videos of Disney's new CEO are surfacing. What's his stance on LGBT issues and Florida's so-called don't say gay bill? Here are the details on what he said and how Florida Governor Ron DeSantis responded. This month, Disney reinstated 71-year-old Bob Iger as CEO. He had previously held the post from 2005 until 2020. Journalist Christopher Rufo on Tuesday said he obtained videos of Iger's first town hall meeting with Disney employees after taking on the role again. Iger had this to say when he was asked about Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill, which Disney opposed. One of the core values of our storytelling is inclusion and acceptance and tolerance. And we can't lose that. We just can't lose that. I think, about, I think about Black Panther and the impact that had on the world, or a film like Coco. I mean, I could go on and on. And how we actually change the world for the good. It must continue. He added that not everybody would be happy about this, but that won't make the company change those values, because he says he's doing the right thing by communicating them. When Disney opposed Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay bill, Governor Ron DeSantis stripped the company of its special status. Iger says he didn't like seeing the state involve Disney in that situation. 
I was sorry to see us um, uh, dragged into that battle. On Tuesday night, DeSantis responded to Iger's comments on Fox News. We didn't drag them in, Tucker. They went in on their own and not only opposed the bill, they threatened to get it repealed. These are parents' rights, important policies in our state that are very popular. And so they brought this on themselves. Yeah. All we did was stand up for what's right. And yes, they're a big, powerful company. But you know what? We stand up for our folks. And I don't care what a Burbank-based California company says about our laws. Back in April, the governor said, quote, I was elected to put the people of Florida first, and I will not allow a woke corporation based in California to run our state. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Google and YouTube are partnering up with a global network of fact checkers. The tech giants say they're providing over $13 million to the network. The investment includes $12 million to the International Fact Checking Network. It encompasses 135 fact-checking organizations from 65 countries in over 80 languages. Among them are PolitiFact, Reuters, Snopes, and the Washington Post fact-checker. Google and YouTube said this is by far their single largest grant for fact-checking. The company said the investment will, quote, elevate information, uplift credible sources, and reduce the harm of mis- and disinformation around the globe. The fact-checking network is housed by Pointer Institute, which receives funding from the Open Society Foundations, founded and chaired by George Soros. An investigation found that thousands of convicted sex offenders were released from prison early in California. Many spent less than a year in prison. Here are the details. Sex offenders in California are getting less than a year in prison time. According to the Daily Mail, over 7,000 sex offenders were released the same year they were convicted of crimes described as lewd or lascivious acts with a child under 14 years of age. The data was extracted from California Department of Justice's Megan's Law database, which provides information on registered sex offenders. In an interview with Tucker Carlson Tonight, Reporter Josh Boswell noted that among, quote, nonviolent offenders are pedophiles convicted of serious offenses with high risk of reoffending. And these are people who are spending just a few months in prison for these really awful, heinous crimes. Proposition 57, which California voters passed in 2016, allows early parole and good behavior opportunities for nonviolent felons. One sex offender from Santa Cruz County was convicted in 2013 and reportedly started a new job in 2014. Compiled from California data on 55,000 sex offenders listed on July 2019, nearly 42,000 crimes were committed involving children. The average pedophile served two years and 10 months in prison. Based on November data, California's Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation currently houses a little over 96,000 individuals, nearly 3,600 less than last year. And almost 40,000 individuals are currently on parole. And a whistleblower alleges that a U.S. government program sends unaccompanied immigrant children to criminals. Undercover journalist group Project Veritas exposed the story in its latest video. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Project Veritas released a video of a U.S. government whistleblower on Tuesday. 
The whistleblower, Tara Lee Rodas, said the Department of Health and Human Services is putting unaccompanied immigrant children in the hands of criminals. As she puts it, doing the work of the cartels on your tax dollars. Rodas works for a federal agency that combats fraud in federal programs. She volunteered to help HHS in processing the minors into the child sponsorship program. She said the sponsors are typically not U.S. citizens. These vulnerable children, we care for them, we clothe them, we feed them. With your dollars and my dollars, we fly that product directly to the trafficker. To verify her claims, Project Veritas conducted a nine-month investigation across the country. A 16-year-old girl in Houston said this about her sponsor. Rhoda said the agency sent children to known traffickers' addresses. We have 44 unaccompanied children at that address. We have 25 unaccompanied children at that address. Project Veritas reported 109 unaccompanied children were released to four addresses within a quarter-mile radius. In the video, young children say they live with multiple older, unrelated men. I don't believe that this is something that HHS wants people to know. Rhoda said HHS knows multiple children are going to one location. But when she raised the issue, she says she was told, quote, we only get sued if we keep kids in care too long. We don't get sued by traffickers. She says the Biden administration has relaxed the tight vetting for safe homes to quickly move the children along. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Christine McVie, the singer-songwriter behind some of Fleetwood Mac's biggest hits, died today following a brief illness. That's according to a statement posted by her family on her verified Instagram account. She was 79. The statement said that McVie passed away peacefully in the hospital this morning and that she was in the company of her family. Fleetwood Mac paid tribute to McVie in a statement describing her as, quote, truly one of a kind, special and talented beyond measure. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, at the World Cup, the U.S. plays the Netherlands Saturday in an elimination game. But what's the status of injured star Christian Pulisic? NTD's Dave Martin has the update. Stay tuned for the details after this short break. leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Jiang Zemin, has died. He was known for starting one of the most brutal persecutions against a faith group in modern times. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. According to Chinese state-run media, the former leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Jiang Zemin, has died at the age of 96. He passed away due to leukemia and multiple organ failure in the city of Shanghai, where he was once mayor. Zhang first joined the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, in 1946, when he was studying at Shanghai's Tong University. That's according to the People's Daily, a news outlet controlled by the CCP. 
1989, Zhang rose to power due to his involvement in the Tiananmen Square massacre, when the communist country's military killed an estimated 10,000 unarmed pro-democracy protesters. Soon after, Zhang was promoted to general secretary of the CCP, replacing Zhao Ziyang, who was sympathetic to the student demonstrators. A few years later, in 1993, Zhang became the head of the Chinese regime, and in 2001, he helped China get into the World Trade Organization. During Zhang's time as the leader, a spiritual practice called Falun Dafa grew rapidly throughout the communist country. It's based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance, and many began the practice for its health benefits. By the year 1999, an estimated 70 to 100 million people in China were practicing Falun Dafa. Zhang saw the large movement as a threat to the CCP's power and control over the Chinese people. And in 1999, he launched one of the most brutal persecutions against a faith group in modern times. He claimed he would eliminate Falun Dafa in three months. And 23 years later, the persecution continues. During Zhang's leadership, millions of practitioners were forced to choose between their faith or their lives. According to Zhang's guidance, practitioners who died from torture were to be declared victims of suicide and cremated immediately. Thousands of practitioners were secretly killed for their organs to be sold as part of the CCP's massive organ transplant industry. In 2003, Zhang was replaced by Hu Jintao as head of the Chinese regime. The persecution of Falun Dafa and other ethnic groups in China continues to this day under the regime's current leader, Xi Jinping. Jason Perry, NTD News. And earlier today, I spoke with Chris Chappell, host of the YouTube show China Uncensored, for his perspective on Zhang's death and other recent developments in China. Chris Chappell, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Now, Jiang Zemin, former CCP dictator and human rights abuser, has died. What could this mean for China and for the world? Well, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Uh, yeah, I've been seeing all kinds of really terrible takes on uh, Jiang Zemin. People are kind of referring to him as, oh, you know, a, a reformer of the good old days of China. Uh, but that's so wrong. I mean, he, he committed crimes against humanity. Uh, and like even China joining the World Trade Organization, that was a disaster for the world and particularly for America. I mean, Michigan auto workers having to compete with slave labor in Shenzhen really was not good for anyone. We've seen protests inside China against the CCP's zero COVID measures, and they're growing. There's a chance that public memorials for the dictator could morph into even larger protests, as they did in Tiananmen Square in 1989. Do you think we could see a repeat of history here? It's hard to say. Uh, I will say one of the big differences between these protests and Tiananmen was that in Tiananmen, they were really only calling for fairly modest political reforms. They weren't really targeting the Chinese Communist Party itself. And they especially weren't calling for an end to the Chinese Communist Party. However, we've seen some protesters this past weekend specifically saying Xi Jinping needs to step down. The Communist Party needs to step down. That is a huge escalation from what happened in Tiananmen. While these were definitely very significant protests, you know, a weekend of protests does not a revolution make. Uh, that won't topple the Chinese Communist Party. There needs to be continued action 
uh, really, revolution is a complicated thing, even nonviolent revolution, which is, is what I hope will happen in China. Apple is being accused of potentially aiding the CCP's crackdown on dissent by placing restrictions on their airdrop feature in China, which protesters have been using to share information. What do you make of that? It's, it just shows that they're putting profit above people, uh, especially ironic, you know, considering back in 1984, their, you know, their big ad campaign promising that, you know, Apple would make sure 1984 isn't like 1984. And well, yeah, they're aiding authoritarian regimes. It's worth noting Apple also faced similar allegations in 2019 during the Hong Kong protests when it removed an app that, right, right that helped protesters track police movements. Do, do you think there's a patent here that we should be concerned about at all? I definitely think everyone should really start holding, uh, you know, with all these big tech companies and Wall Street and politicians too, accountable for their actions. And what this really requires is the average American to just really understand clearly that the Chinese Communist Party is our enemy. Uh, they consider themselves to be the enemy of America in their own internal documents and speeches, they talk about being at war with the United States, needing to destroy the United States as a superpower, spreading international communism. And once the American people just kind of really understand that this is an enemy we're up against, everything falls into place. There wouldn't be debates over, oh, should we ban TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company? No, it'd be like, of course, we ban the mouthpiece of the, the Chinese Communist Party. We wouldn't want that. And speaking of big tech, YouTube put an age restriction on China Uncensored's coverage of the recent protests. You've called the censorship, saying it essentially killed the viewership. Tell us about that. This is unfortunately uh, a pattern that YouTube has been doing. Uh, for example, back in, you mentioned Hong Kong, we were, we were there at the protests in 2019. Every single episode we were doing covering the protests was getting demonetized and age restricted community guidelines say you can't show footage of protests or riots. I mean, if this was 1989, YouTube would be censoring Tiananmen Square Massacre footage. We wouldn't be seeing Tank Man. YouTube would be blurring that. That's a powerful point. So finally, you've advocated for Nuremberg-style trials for the crimes of communism. Tell us about that. Well, I think the big reason people have an understanding of what happened in World War II and with Nazi Germany is that there were these very public trials where sort of all of the crimes of the Nazi regime were laid out. That's never happened with any communist regime, really. And that's led to just so many people being kind of ignorant of what communism really is, which is you know, in Marx's own words, basically dedicated to the forcible overthrow of all pre-existing social conditions. And, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, yeah, if we just, you know, overthrow pre-existing social conditions, we'll, we'll end up with a utopia. That's what Marx promised, and instead of ending up with Mad Max. Great way to illustrate the point. Thank you so much, Chris Chappell, host of China Uncensored. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. And now, over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Chinese Communist Party is up to their censorship tricks again, this time blurring out the World Cup fans on China's central television, also known as CCTV. Now, this is an attempt to keep their citizens from seeing that the rest of the world is maskless 
and living in relative freedom. In addition, CCTV is cutting out any close-ups of the crowd and replacing it with close-ups of coaches instead. The Chinese Communist Party is still enforcing their draconian COVID-19 lockdowns even as protests recently erupted in cities across the country. Elsewhere at the World Cup, American star Christian Pulisic says he'll be ready for Saturday's match against the Netherlands. Pulisic scored the game's only goal against Iran, but in the resulting collision with Iran's goalkeeper, he suffered a pelvic contusion. The 24-year-old lay on the ground for several minutes before coming off the field. He eventually went back in, only to be subbed out at halftime. And in hockey news, Washington Capitals winger Alex Ovechkin scored two goals last night to pass Wayne Gretzky for the most goals scored all-time on the road with now 403. Ovechkin is third overall in all-time goals scored with 793. Now that's still a little more than 100 goals behind Gretzky, though he could conceivably pass the great one in a couple of years. Second place on the list, though, is Gordy Howe, who's just eight goals ahead of Ovechkin. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NHL has a quadruple header planned featuring the league's leading scorer Edmonton's Connor McDavid playing at the Chicago Blackhawks. And for you basketball fans, 13 NBA games are on the schedule, including rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals as the Boston Celtics take on the Miami Heat. And that's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.